Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. You know what? It's spring. And I think most of us just went <laughs> uh, what seemed like a week of winter. Uh, but welcome. Welcome to spring. We have a guest panelist this week. We're really excited. Claire Zauke's on vacation. Claire, hope you are enjoying your vacation, which means you better not be listening to this. But in in uh, replacing Claire, we're super excited to have back Joanna Bouch, our movement politics director here at Citizen Action. Joanna, always great to have you. Hey, Matt. Uh, great to be back on the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. Always love hanging out with you guys. Oh, we got a great show this week. Much to talk about. And Robert Craig is with us to have that conversation. Robert is the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you this morning. Good day, everyone. Not everyone with us in the morning. And um, in addition, Matt, I disagree. Uh, vacation's a great time to binge listen to oh. all of your battleground Wisconsin's you missed. Yeah. Okay. We have a different idea of vacation, but maybe if I'm out hiking or doing some exercising, yes. But otherwise, anyways, let's let's move on. Let's, let's move on to this week. It's been, it's been a historic week. Okay. Let's just, we're going to get right into it. We are going to talk uh, the guilty verdict uh, this week for Derek Chauvin, uh, the murderer of George Floyd. Um, it's, you know, it's historic because this just, it, it's not what normally happens. However, I, I, I want to kick it to both of our panelists just to get your thoughts about the fact that while, yes, it's historic, just to, let's put this all in perspective of um, what we still face. And what I, I, I want to talk specifically about the verdict and give you an opportunity to talk more broadly about your feelings about it. But then I do want us to talk about it within our state. And there was our, our, our task force this week uh, that uh, Representative Voss put together released its initial uh, report. And so I do want to transition into that and have this broader perspective, but let us start. Um, Joanna, I appreciate really that you were able to join us this week with Claire being gone, but want to give you an opportunity to start the show by just getting your reaction to this verdict. And, uh, and then Robert, uh, after you can follow Joanna, your, your, your yeah. feelings today, as we record, I guess, two days after the verdict. Right. Two days after the verdict. So, I mean, I, I think like everybody, I was on edge waiting to to hear the announcement. Right. They said it was going to be between three thirty and four um, central time here here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so like I'm anxiously waiting for them to to come back on uh, for the judge to come back in the chambers and, and tell us like what what the jury came to decide. And I tell you, like. I don't know. I, I thought that I, if, I thought that if it was a guilty verdict, I would feel happy and um, in a celebratory mode. Right. Um, and that didn't happen. Um, and I guess it's because, right, like it wasn't justice what we what we saw two days ago. Right. Finding um, this former law enforcement officer. Kevin, like finding him guilty was not justice. It was accountability. And I think it's important that we don't let we, that we don't let that narrative slip away, right? Um, this cannot be uh, the victory, right? This has to be the first step. We saw a tweet from our Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes that said, it's truly amazing how the idea of justice can be caused for celebration. And I'm right there with them. Like, you know, I'm glad that uh, communities of color felt some sort of some relief 
Um, and this guilty verdict, right? Three counts of guilty um, towards this this horrible person. But like, I hope we we know that this is just, we hope, I hope that we know and remember that this is just the beginning and we have a ton of work to do, right? We have ton, a ton of work to do um, on the way we invest in, in public safety, right? Like we need to continue the narrative that police don't keep communities of color safe, right? It's just not true. Um, and, and we saw that, right? Um, even during this trial, we saw um, other black Americans being harmed by police. Um, and so the fact that, that this one officer is convicted of murder um, is not justice for the entire communities of color that are still mourning, still hurting, and still figuring, it, figuring out how to move through their community safely, um, safely from police. I think Joanna's on to something. We shouldn't have had to have been on pins and needles uh, for this verdict, given how egregious it was. And it was beyond any, any possible self-preservation, public safety explanation. It seemed to be one man exercising his personal white supremacy over a, a, a man he did not consider a full human being. I, it's hard to imagine anything else. But even then, we had to worry. That tells you how bad the system is. And it tells you that in any border, more borderline case, there still won't be a conviction. So you have to ask yourself, and this had uh, this is a perfect storm. Kudos to all the activists and people who protested. Kudos to all the work that made Keith Ellison, the first black attorney general of the state of Minnesota, so movement governing and and, and organizing and elect and and electing folks like him, having a governor that would take it away from local officials and give it to the attorney general. He also was elected with a lot of progressive support. Remember all of that, but everything had to fall into place and it had to be the worst imaginable case for this. I will say I'm heartened because our public statement was all about what else we need to do, which the right is attacking all of us for, for, for doing that. But I'm just really impressed about all the activists on the streets that came out and are saying the same thing. So my fear that we would see this as proof that there is justice in the United States that then that we need that we need much more instead is understood by the movement and by rank and file activists. These weren't the leaders. These are people. Cable news is just walking into crowds of people in, in the in the streets of major cities where people are coming together. So that is the positive thing here. And I think we need to realize that, unfortunately, because you have to prove in order to get a murder conviction, which tells you probably this shouldn't be the way we try to fix policing. You need it for the family. Uh, you have to prove that the act was exceptional and that the person did something out of the ordinary against the professional norms. And so that gave the Minneapolis Police Department, many others, the opportunity to say, oh, this isn't us. This is just one bad cop. And this is not just one bad cop. This is a system. Yeah, this was a particularly bad cop, but this system enabled him and a lot of other cops that aren't quite that bad to continue a system of racial oppression. I know Matt will get into it, but we, we should just pivot. Everyone's relieved. And everyone, it, it, you know, if you had a conviction on one lynching during Jim Crow, that'd be progress, but the other lynchings continued, that wouldn't be enough. That I, I, I know that's a very emotionally charged comparison, but this is the new Jim Crow. Michelle Alexander's right, and therefore it, this is an apt comparison. So 
I'll just say personally, um, I, I appreciate what all both of you said, because I think it's spot on. Um, I can, I'll just tell you my own personal story. I happen to be, um, at, at the moment, I was hel helping my son do something uh, with uh, moving a motorcycle and the verdict was being announced and I put it on and I, you know, I must admit, and I've talked about this on the show. I was in Los Angeles during the Rodney King and all of these events, they just, it's like, it's the same thing over and over again. And in that video with this video, very similar. And so it was emotional. I, for, at least for me that it was a different verdict because um it, it's, it's, it was at least a spark, maybe, I don't know, but still understanding all the broader perspectives of everything you laid out. Um, and at, at least for that family, you know, finally a family gets as not, it's not justice, but accountability. Um, so uh, let's talk about the broader perspective because the other thing that was really important this week that happened is uh, here in Wisconsin for us, is the Racial Disparities Task Force uh, that uh, Speaker Voss set up as a way of stopping any effort uh, to, to even move or discuss uh, this last year after the uh, Jacob Blake shooting here in Wisconsin released its first recommend recommendations. And it is most noteworthy that they this, this group was completely unable to come to any conclusion about use of force, which was, is really fundamental because without it, it makes a lot of the recommendations that, that were released very difficult. But there were at least some, some, some recommendations that came out and it, it completely inadequate, completely you know, short of a lot of the things that have been proposed. But um, when we get back, we're going to have a we're going to have a conversation about this because we definitely want to talk about right how this applies in our state and we just talked about right this this case doesn't change the systemic uh, realities and this the verdict of this task force or these these weak results that's the systemic problem we're going to talk more about that when we get back you're listening to the battleground wisconsin where citizen action finds at citizenactionwi.org Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Before we broke, we were discussing the Racial Disparities Task Force uh, here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, it released its recommendations this week and uh, these recommendations clearly are not up to the tasks of what we laid out in the previous hour of what we face systemically. But Joanne, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, about the task force uh, recommendations and, you know, next steps uh, from your from your perspective. Yeah, I just want to quickly say like earlier I was I was talking about how um, you know this one conviction of this one um, former law uh, enforcement officer um, isn't really like a change in anything, right? It's not a change in our system. It's one thing and, and I mentioned that there were still black Americans um, that were being harmed by police during this trial, right? And so I would just, I would be remiss to not mention um, these, these young people of color, you know, Dante Wright, a 20 year old man who was killed at a traffic stop. Um, 13 year old Adam Torrido in Chicago also murdered at the hands of law enforcement. And then uh, as, as well as 15 year old Makia Bryant in Columbus, Ohio also murdered at the hands of law enforcement. 
while this cabin tri- cabin trial was was underway, right? Like this is happening at the exact moment that um, the United States thinks that they're bringing justice um, to communities of color with this conviction. Um, and so, so I, I just wanted to make sure that we said their names, um, as it's critical that we, you know, don't forget these these members of our community that are being harmed by the very people we expect to keep us safe. Um, and so, you know, thinking about this Wisconsin perspective, um, you know, with this task force that, you know, like I was telling you before we started the show, Matt, it's it's almost laughable, the task force. You know, I commend the work of Rec- uh, Representative Stubbs, um, but I also just want to remind our listeners that this task force was created um, by Robin Voss <clears throat> after our Black caucus members worked with Governor Evers to present a package of bills to address racial justice, right? Um, he refused to allow any debate over these bills, um, instead created a task force where, let's face it, lots of the times things go to committees for what? To die, right? So they can go to these committees so we can find our legislators talking these issues to death bringing forth no real legislation, no real policy changes, um, right? Like you were saying uh, earlier in your intro here, like they, they couldn't even come to agreements on excessive force, right? Um, <clears throat> I mean, what is this task force even doing if the call for a ban on, cho- there's a call for a ban on chokeholds unless officers are in a life-threatening situation or in self-defense? That's their case every single time. That's every single argument. Every time they're harmful to to people of color, to young people of color, they claim self-defense. I was protecting myself. I felt like my life was at stake, right? Like that's their argument. That's their power that they hold over. So I'm a little skeptical of this task force. Again, I want to, you know, um, I'm, I'm grateful for Representative Sheila Stubbs for her leadership. Um, within the Black Caucus and, and presenting on this uh, legislation, but I, I'm skeptical to see if anything gets done. Yeah, I want to try to hold, and this is sometimes a problem for us advanced progressives, a couple ideas at the same time that don't need to be contradictory. It, if we can make incremental advances that make it a little better, uh, we should do that. It may save lives as long as it cannot be used to deflect or or slow down the need for fundamental reform of the system that Joanna Joanna's talking about. And so I do want to commend Sheila Stubbs, a lot of Black Lives Matter activists who have engaged this process. See Fred Royal, the head of the Milwaukee NAACP is involved. He's quoted in the story uh, this week. And so they are trying to get something that will make it better. But of course, you have to be careful. Sometimes a compromise is so bad, it actually prevents you from getting the ultimate goal, then you shouldn't take it. That's a judgment call. I don't think Sheila Stubbs, for example, would do that. So she's acting in good faith. And that's happening at the national level, where Karen Bass, uh, one of the best, um, you know, uh, congresspeople I know from California, is trying to find some compromise with Senate Republicans and moderate Democrats that can actually pass to at least do something. And she, of course, is uh, comes out of organizing. If people don't know her, may become she's one of the people who could become the House Speaker when Nancy Pelosi retires. So she is trying, and there's no question of her being an advanced progressive. Uh, these issues and a lot of other issues. 
But you look at these things, obviously, Joanne is right that you can't even agree on use of force. What does that say? Now, I don't even, and I'm not as expert as some of our folks that are engaging this process. I'm not convinced that the version of our side's version of use of force would do much of anything, given the way courts interpret this and the way they uh, that they that basically the system still tends to get the benefit of the doubt of police, whatever the letter of the law is and whether a word is added to the law or not. And here's the problem. If the standard is I feared for my life, we know because of structural racism that all white people in this culture, if we're being honest with ourselves, are automatic brains, which are, which are built into us. We didn't. We don't stop and say that might be a lion. I should do something. No, we 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 start running without thinking because we have an automatic brain that acts quicker. That automatic brain is programmed to think that black and brown people, especially young men, are are dangerous and to act differently. And when we're talking about I pull out my gun and I shoot it, that's automatic brain. That is not some sort of rational contemplation. And so as long as they can fear for their lives it's going to be okay. I, I'm legally, that's what I'm telling you. So you have to change the whole structure. And I think that means fundamentally remove, reducing these number of situations. A lot of these deaths occur with interactions with police that don't need to occur at all. You didn't need for that young man, 20 year old who was, uh, who was shot in Brooklyn center, Minnesota, stop him for expired tags when the state of Minnesota is behind on sending out the tags because of the pandemic. What does it do? What are they doing? It's broken windows policing. They are deliberately interacting with targeted communities a lot, which creates, uh, you know, even if, if only one and, and, and 10,000 leads to an incident like this, if you have a lot more of them than with white people, they will happen just statistically. We don't need to do that. And uh, in addition, there's a funding thing because of austerity, which people like Robin Voss have been pushing. A lot of local governments, and we saw this in Ferguson, rely upon the fees they get from these tickets. And they put their police, the police are essentially fundraising when they do this, and they're doing broken windows policing. And just to remind people what that meant, the theory was, and it's been discredited, if you prosecute the petty crimes, you'll be stopping the major crimes that you'll be interacting with the people who go commit the major crimes. And that was out of New York and it's been totally discredited, but they need to justify having all these police. Second, you just need less police. You know, and, to, and we have all sorts of things we are under investing in, and these could be rapid response on armed people units on mental health crisis. For example, a lot of times we don't need to send people with guns, men and women with guns. And the interesting thing is, We're going to be talking about this more. I hope we have legislation to announce soon on this. Uh, It may be it may be a couple months, but just so you know, uh, unlike Minnesota, which is bad enough in Wisconsin, uh, the state pays for incarceration, state incarceration totally. And the counties and the municipalities have to pay a huge amount in order to do all the alternatives in Minnesota. That's not true. And that's why they have half the incarceration rate redo, as bad as it still is in Minnesota, as we now know from the whole uh, George Floyd uh, murder and uh, and, and what's followed. Uh, And so what happens is there's a there's a positive incentive because of money for for police departments to be funded to just send people to state pen. That is our system. 
So that that is a structural reform. We're not talking at that level right now, obviously, but we need to get there. But if Sheila Stubbs and other activists can get something, they that would be great. But it's unlikely to happen, even to get something worthwhile. That's how bad it is. That's how much the conservative movement and Republicans are part of defending the current order. Well, look, appreciate both of your thoughts these last two segments on this. It's just an absolutely critical topic of our time. I'm going to continue discussing this every week. It's uh, it's what we're swimming in, and we got to change it. It's going to require structural change. We'll continue to focus on it here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, for Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We have got to talk about what's been going on uh, in this state this week around Citizen Action's Climate Week of Action. Uh, before we talked about, we had a whole week of action around healthcare uh, and all the stuff that we are moving and pursuing in the state budget, uh, and particularly the things that Governor Evers had put in and are you know really in play. And this week we have been focusing on climate and it's really fortuitous because uh, nationally, it's also a, a huge week. Not only is today Earth Day, <laughs> we had 420 this week. Uh, federally, the Green New Deal was reintroduced into Congress, which is huge. And also, uh, there was uh, the a new Climate Conservation Corps that was introduced that Citizen Action uh, is also supporting. So huge week, huge week. Joanna, I know you've been involved in these. We've got a lot of uh, our movement politics candidates who have been super involved in events, but we've done, uh, geez, we're going to probably by the end of the week be close to a dozen events around the state uh, this week. Very exciting week, Joanna. It is. Um, and can I just say, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of my obviously superheroes that I look up to, has dubbed this week the Green New Deal Week. So it is a, it's an amazing week um, for climate and equity and environmental justice issues and communities of color um, all over the country. And yeah, we're doing a ton of work here um, in Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Um, in fact, I was just looking at our Instagram page at some photos from um, our Northeast Wisconsin co-op. Um, they had a press conference yesterday, Wednesday, along with co-op members, Mayor Genrick of Green Bay, uh, Representative Shelton and Lieutenant Governor Barnes. Um, and so that was really great to see, uh, you know, our member electeds come together and support the co-op uh, and, and this great work that we're doing. So the press conference was specifically calling on JFC uh, to approve funding in the state budget in the state budget to respond to the threat of climate change, um, save people money on their energy bills, and uh, of course, improve economic opportunity and equity. Um, and then today, Thursday, um, we'll, we're recording on Thursday. I don't know when y'all are going to listen to this, but Thursday, the 22nd, is our big night of climate and equity town hall. We're going to have many leaders, newly elected mayor of La Crosse, Mitch Reynolds, is going to be on with us. Also, uh, Citizen Action member, State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski will be on with us tonight. Lieutenant, again, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, a true champion for climate and equity, he'll be on with us. Um, and newly elected State Representative Supreme Moore Amakunde. Um, I'm just really grateful to our movement electeds for, um, for supporting us and supporting us in this issue works and, and supporting the co-ops and our organizers um, and, and like 
participating in these events, you know, it, it really means a lot to, to have our elected officials collaborate with us uh, on such important work. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to tonight, Thursday, April 22nd event. Absolutely. And Robert, I know you'll be uh, hosting the big event tonight, but Robert, your thoughts, I mean, I know you have been involved federally also working on uh, this really important Climate Conservation Corps uh, historic week in terms of the push to try and uh, really change the way we think about what we need to be doing to create jobs and save the planet. Robert. Yeah, and since most of you will be listening uh, after Thursday, happy Earth Day, uh, belated to you that we're doing all these things Earth Day on Thursday, April 22nd. And that's why you're seeing a lot of action this week. Uh, so before I get the, uh, uh, the uh, Climate Conservation Corps, let me just say uh, Thursday morning, Joe Biden uh, having a summit on uh, climate and actually leading again and promising, this is a huge promise, uh, to cut emissions in half by 2030 in the U.S. as a U.S. promise to the world as our leadership role, that will require we do something even more than AOC and the advanced progressives in Congress are pushing. So that definitely makes Biden's jobs plan a down payment, even in his what his announced positions. Of course, like previous presidents, like like Roosevelt, we'll have to uh, make sure we're organized to make him do it, to follow through on his commitment. But it's great to have a president who makes such a commitment. So uh, I just say that uh, there's so much in climate going on and climate and not just climate, Green New Deal, climate transition that actually creates a new uh, era of economic opportunity like we had after World War II, but this one's inclusive and especially lifts up all the people locked out of the American dream, which is disproportionately black and brown people in this country, but is also a whole lot of white people too. The only people gaining ground in the last 50 years are the top 1% and the most is the top uh, a tenth of 1%. And they're the only ones who benefit from the current fossil fuel economy for real. So what's great about, but it's good, that's a big broad vision. What's good to talk about with the uh, Climate Conservation Corps is uh, this is something President Biden supports in theory. He put a he put about a tenth of the money that this bill have has in the uh, jobs bill, but he doesn't have the details. This fleshes out the details. So this is Ed Markey, in the Senate, the, the, the very now very progressive senator from Massachusetts and AOC in the House, they were the sponsors, famous, the, the two sponsors of the Green New Deal resolution. And it's New Deal level. It's 1.5 million young people employed to enable this climate transition and then to get the permanent skills to stay in the new green economy and have a, a good careers. It is very progressive in terms of its focus. It focuses on including uh, uh, black and brown uh, youth and young people. And so it's not going to be just, uh, you know, environmentalist white kids from the suburbs. Well, they will get to go there, too. This benefits everyone. It lifts all boats. But, that, but the folks who usually get left behind in our country will not be in this. And furthermore, it is very pro-union. We haven't seen anything like this since the 1930s. It gives them the right to organize with card check. And what that means is a majority in their, in their unit wants it. They have a union. No fight, no way for any employer or boss to try to prevent it. And it's set up so, the, so it, it privileges unions uh, uh, being able to hire these folks after they finish their service. 
And so this is a modernized New Deal. The New Deal put a lot of people to work, but it wasn't as intentional about preparing them and setting up the jobs after the public jobs program. That's the, so this is like combines a lot of modern thinking, but puts it to in a New Deal scale. And so just to see of 1.5 million young folks of, of, of every, every ethnicity, of every race, of every region and zip code of this country doing this vital work, it's just, it's just amazing to think about. And so this is something worth fighting for, and it's something that uh, the president agrees to in principle, but hasn't yet agreed to this price tag. So, folks, I want to remind you, please reach out to your members of Congress, right? We, we got to make a push. Let them know you support both the Green New Deal, but also this uh, Climate Conservation Corps. Let them know. The other thing is, uh, you know, we were just talking about our week of action. Um, please reach out. We'll have a number of links. There are multiple ways you can reach out to your state legislators in support of our climate agenda and our climate equity agenda that we're moving through the state budget. Um, I do want to point out for folks, uh, speaking of our state legislature, this week uh, they opened up the virtual Joint Finance Committee hearing. It filled in under 20 minutes, over 200 speakers. It's absurd. This is the only uh, virtual public hearing for the Joint Finance on the state budget. The three in-person hearings were not anywhere close to where most of the people live. Um, We were part of a letter and a big push uh, to expand the number of virtual hearings. Hopefully they will. But look, folks, you don't need to play on their game. Please reach out to your state legislators. Engage them yourself. Feel free to go ask them to set up your own lobby meeting with them. You should be able to spend time with them on Zoom expressing your opinions on the state budget. Make sure you reach out to your state legislators. Before we go to break, and we're gonna when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined. We're very excited. We're going to be joined by Toby Chow from uh, People's Action. Uh, but before we do that, Robert, I want to I want to get your thoughts real quick. Foxconn, New Deal, basically. The con is up, right? All the previous thing, it's out the window. Uh, Evers renegotiated this week. You have some new numbers for us on the renegotiations uh, before we go to break? That's what we've been saying all along, but worse. But a lot of money's already spent a billion in infrastructure for this. So just to remind you, back in 2017, when we were one of the leading opponents, we talked about all the research that shows that these economic bribes to create jobs to big corporations don't work. They're not most effective investment. And uh, we also said this was even worse than most of them, that the formula for amount of money per job was 10 times worse than a very low standard. I mean, we spend $80 billion a year by the last number I saw that state local government economic development that doesn't pay off for jobs. It pays off for basically giveaways to Fortune 500 companies and other big companies in this country. And so they've made a little better. We're down to 1,400 jobs. Just to give you, uh, I did the calculation because we have all these numbers and we did all this research when we were posing it originally. And if you just want to look at the additional subsidy, Governor Evers, with he's still using the privatized jobs agency, WEDEC, that was created by Scott Walker, he didn't want to get rid of it. It should be gotten rid of. But rather than paying uh, the premium we're paying, the average for these giveaways, and this is not even a good goal, right, is what, what other states and cities do. Uh, the average is about $2,500 per job per year. 
Uh, the new subsidy is $3,000 for jobs per year. So we're getting closer to a very bad standard, but it's worse than that. If you add in all of the state infrastructure and local infrastructure put in, it's $46,000 per job per year, as opposed to the, uh, the, the, the usual, which is 2500 So it is still a complete white elephant boondoggle where we wasted over a billion dollars that could have been invested in building quality union jobs for a green transition we need to prevent a climate disaster. Don't forget that. So they've made a little better. They were given a bad hand, the administration. But I just think we need to be clearer on how bad this still is, rather than having this administration say this is now some good deal, which they're not saying uh, they're not going and, and cheerleading, but they're making it much too positive. And I understand they want to be reelected. But please, we, do, do not even try to put lipstick on this pig. And with that, we have to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. Find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. You know... We are really fortunate to have this uh, next guest. Um, his, uh, his name is Tobita Chow. He is with People's Actions, Justice is Global. He's the director of that project. Toby, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. So, so everybody, the reason we have Toby with us is I was surfing uh, the Wheeler Report and I saw uh, our Congressman Representative Gallagher here have a press release about a bill introduced called the Endless Frontier Act. And I was struck by the, the fact that this much of the messaging, Toby, was basically just about some sort of anti-China and building up a lot of resentment against communist China as if we're in some kind of competition. And so I wanted to reach out to you and have you come on and talk about this because you are uh, leading an effort uh, to try and organize against this growing, you know, anti-China sentiment uh, that we've been experiencing, uh, Toby. So I appreciate you coming on. I assume you've been tracking this. Tell us more about this legislation and why it's so important and why we think, uh, you know, we want to talk about this broader anti-China topic. Yeah, so this bill is... Um just one in a series of bills that are in various ways um, anti-China. Um, this particular bill, like looking at the content of it, it's calling for public investment and government support for science and technology and manufacturing and, and all of that, which is you know, stuff that in, you know, in general is, is progressives, I think we'd all want to support, right? Um, the issue is that um, in this case is that the framing um, that we see from Republicans and, and some Democrats, in particular Senator Schumer, is all about how this is intended to counter this like supposed threat from China. Um, and that's really concerning. So they talk about um, China as an economic threat. They talk about, um, I think in Gallagher's, uh, Representative Gallagher's statement, he talks about um, uh, competition and, and the tech sector and the, the threat of, of, you know, China stealing our technology. Um, and just in light of uh, the, the recent attention on, on the wave of anti-Asian racism that we've seen in the past year, um, uh, 
Uh, I'm not, I'm, I think like maybe a lot of the politicians that are engaging this rhetoric don't realize it, but like that, these are some of the pieces of rhetoric that have fed anti-Asian racism currently and in the past. Um, it can get quite dangerous to talk about, um, you know, a foreign economic competitor is like the central threat to, to the US economy. Um, like famously in 1982, uh, Vincent Chin, a Chinese American man was murdered outside of Detroit and uh, the perpetrators, part of what they felt was that, um, I mean, the quote from the incident was that it's because of blanks like you that we're out of work, right? So um, uh, yeah, this is uh, very uh, concerning. Um, and yeah, so that's one piece is just that perspective. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I was struck by that, what you just said, that this bill seemed like on its own merits, what it was for ought to be what's talked about, but it was completely wrapped in this anti-China language. And so, yeah, I just, I, it's, it's disturbing. Robert, I know you uh, have a question for Toby. Yeah, I think people get, I mean, on the left, get confused about this. They're against, you know, the horrendous incidents we see on the street. And they're against what Donald Trump was doing, calling the, um, you know, the, the virus, uh, all sorts of Asian names, right, and, and holding to it, and that, that sort of horrendous behavior. But they're not seeing as clearly that the Democrats are also playing the China card, if you want to call it that, which also foments this idea of, uh, of the AAPI community being the other, right, a little bit like how Japanese Americans became seen as identified with one of our opponents in World War II, right? Just because they were of Japanese descent. And that happened to, frankly, to Germans during World War I, including here in Milwaukee. So it, 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 it can be any particular ethnic group or racial group. And that they're not distinguishing that. And part of this is they both have an interest in a Cold War kind of stance. And really, mainline Democrats support the military-industrial complex, which is really, if you want to talk about where the resources are for everything we need to do, it's, a lot of it's there right now. Uh, they defend it, too, and rely upon it. And, it. and it's incredibly powerful. So they, would, uh, they, they don't say this, but a, a new Cold War with China that would require us to be, continue to be armed and to have this big fleet in the Pacific and be in menacing situations over the, the, the China South Sea and other sea lanes areas, uh, that, that, that they're part of that too, but they don't mind. And, and, you know, it's, and so you have that, right? I want you to speak to that, but also what the right is doing. It doesn't go on away with Trump. I saw Fox News last night and on Tucker Carlson, one of his guests had a British accent. I didn't miss his name. One of the Fox contributors, he was bemoaning how Hollywood isn't helping with the competition with China like they did in the Cold War and that they had movies that vilified the Russians during the Cold War. And we need that now. And they were showing scenes of Red Dawn, that infamous movie where the Russians and Cubans take over the country and teenagers uh, kind of brat pack kind of, you know, Hollywood teenagers take to the woods and fight them like we're supposed to do that with what a Chinese invasion. That is what Fox News is saying. So can you hold the space between what, say, a Chuck Schumer is doing here uh, when he's one of the issues, the majority leader, as much as he's doing well on many issues, not this one, uh, versus the continuing right wing attack on 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 Asian Americans and, and Pacific Islanders? 
Yeah. So um, what's happening with uh, a lot of uh, Democrats, too many Democratic leaders, including Senator Schumer, is um, they're holding out hope for um, renewing bipartisanship by joining with Republicans in China bashing, basically. So, you know, even after the events of the past few months, even after January 6th and everything that we've seen on the radicalization in the Republican Party, still a lot of these Democratic leaders think like, oh, there's still hope for bipartisanship. Uh, we can come together by uniting around a shared foreign villain. And, um, you know, in, in some elite circles, there's this very popular, there's a, there's a very powerful narrative that if, you, if we, the, the country comes together when we can be united around the right villain, um, and you know, that's part of the story that a lot of them tell about 9-11, like the day after the 9-11, we were so united. Well, you know, maybe a lot of the country was united, but if you ask Muslims or people who got mistaken for Muslims, they have a different take on that so-called unity, right? So I think we're seeing like um, a, a, a sort of a replay of, of, of that sort of false unity around um, a shared uh, foreign threat. Um, what's happening in, uh, on, on the right in the Republican Party is that, you know, they're gearing up, looking into the midterms in 2024. Um, Anti-China politics is going to be a big part of their pitch to voters. That's what they're planning for. This, is, this was very explicit at, at CPAC um, a few months ago. Um, and uh, these Democrats who are, who are trying to reinvigorate bipartisanship on an anti-China basis are basically unwittingly playing into their hands by promoting um, these narratives that um, China is the biggest threat to the country, that uh, countering China is, the, is how we're gonna achieve prosperity here in the United States. Uh, that's establishing the narrative groundwork um, that the right, that the Republicans are going to use to make these pitches to voters um, next year and in 2024. Um, so I think like from a point of view of political strategy as well, like this is, self-undermining and very, very dangerous. Um, and, you know, there's another player to mention here. You mentioned the, the military industrial complex. Um, they are looking to um, this anti-China stuff as uh, the key to, um, to getting increased funding from the government. It's the biggest argument that everyone makes over funding the defense industry. Um, and we also need to keep our eye on the tech industry because the tech industry is becoming increasingly integrated into the military industrial complex, uh, in part as part of this like anti-China push. The idea is that um, uh, empowering the tech industry is going to make our military stronger and that's how we're gonna outcompete China. So um, there's some real concerns here, like this Endless Frontier Act is investing in research and technology, like in principle, that's stuff we should support, but you know, we should keep our eye out on like how much of this is actually just feeding the military machine um, even more and just giving more profit and power to these unaccountable uh, tech companies um, because that's sort of the direction that this anti-China stuff takes. I love all your analysis. Well, I want to see your reaction to one other strand. It just seems to me that there really isn't much of a left peace movement anymore and that the de Democrats don't have an alternative theory to this sort of big power competition when in fact there, there are plenty out there where we really should reorder our whole foreign policy and not have, see as inevitable some sort of confrontation with another rising power. Do you think that's a factor here? Yeah, that is a, a real concern. Like um, right now, I think uh, we're sort of stuck in a place where we're fighting the bad stuff, um, but like what's the positive vision? Um, that's still something that we need to build. 
Um, that's absolutely true. Like what is the positive vision of the US-China relationship, which then gets us into questions of what's the positive vision for the whole global economy, right? Because there are real problems in US-China relationship that has to do with like how dysfunctional the, and uh, in unequal the entire global economy is. So, you know, that's stuff that we're working on, but um, we, we, that like the front that we need to w- wage that fight, like that's still getting built. Well, Toby, we can't solve it all today, but we are going to continue to have this uh, conversation with you. We look forward to having you on again. We see this as a critical topic. Share your analysis about how it's being weaponized for the next election. Uh, it, look, quite frankly, this was in the last election, and I think uh, Biden was called out when he started to use it. Uh, so we really appreciate you coming on. We're going to talk more about this in the future. We're also going to have you on to talk more about vaccines and Uh, since we know you're leading a program around people's action, keeping an eye on how we're going to vaccinate the world's population. Toby, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And with that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We will see you next week again. We want to thank our guest, Toby DeChow, for joining us. And as always, thank you to our producer, Brian Williams, who makes the show happen. We'll see you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.